May I speak to you in the name of our loving God, creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. Amen. Good morning, church. It is a great joy to be together in this celebratory welcome back month, and most especially to literally welcome back our beloved Stacy Carpenter, newly ordained to the Sacred Order of Priests yesterday at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. <laughs> There are few events as meaningful to a congregation as seeing someone they have raised up take holy orders. Such occasions are a great reminder that one of the most important aspects of our Episcopal tradition is that the path to ordination starts and ends with the people. When a person embarks on that journey, lay members of their congregation have to meet with the prospective ordinand for many months, sometimes years, in speech and in silence, trusting and testing the spirits. At the end of that time, that lay committee must affirm that they too believe this person is called to holy orders. It's important to speak about how those are service positions, the deacons and the priests and the bishops. And in our tradition, that sense of service is at the heart of those orders. Ordained persons, as we were reminded yesterday so beautifully by Kate Flexer at the cathedral, are not better than lay persons. We too are sheep of the one shepherd. Ordained persons are co-equal with the laity. Each order, lay and clergy, are asked to perform specific functions among us. And one of the unique and beautiful privileges of the laity is recognizing and encouraging a potential deacon or priest among them. So today, this congregation, the Church of the Ascension in New York City, will bless Stacy and then send her forth to serve with a different flock. In turn, Stacy will bless us by celebrating her first Eucharist among us. You, the dear people of Ascension, have fed her, nourished her, and held her up through easy times and difficult times. The gift of today is that she now, in turn, will feed you. So today is a day of celebration. Thank you, Stacy, for your self-offering of love and service. Know that Ascension will always consider you one of their own. This is farewell, but it is never goodbye. I was thinking of you as I read our gospel text today because it speaks to some of the duties you will be called on to perform. 
the kind of duties that are jokingly sometimes described as comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. <laughs> so let me start by pointing out that this parable is notable right off the bat because it is the only parable in all of the Gospels in which a person is named Lazarus. Scholars debate whether the use of that name is related to Lazarus of Bethany, the beloved friend of Jesus whom he raised from the dead. Many think that it's a coincidence. What's most important to note, though, is that he is named. Because given how the world works, Lazarus is not the person one would expect to be named. He wasn't on anyone's who's who's list in the first century. He wasn't a person who had power or privilege. So right away, his naming signals that existing norms are being overturned. The person with worldly importance remains anonymous. The person who lives in poverty has a particular identity. Lazarus is not a statistic. He's a human being. He's seen by God, and he's worthy of our respect. Interestingly, most scholars doubt that Jesus ever actually told this parable. Instead, they think Luke adapted it from a common story type of the time because it was a good way to pull together a lot of the strands of Jesus's teaching. Scholar Amy Jill Levine explains that the existing stories that we're, he's referencing were very similar to the ones that we like to tell about people dying and going to the pearly gates and talking to St. Peter. Why does that matter? Well, this parable was never meant to be taken literally as a description of what happens after we die. When we hear someone say, so a real estate developer and a homeless person die and go to the pearly gates, we all know that it's not a story about what happens after we're dead. We also know that how Peter responds to each of those people is a commentary on contemporary life, not the afterlife. The specificity of naming Lazarus then takes on even more meaning when we layer on that context. Because in a story that was understood to be a common trope, full of stereotypical characters, the listener would have expected to hear something like a rich man and a servant. The expectation was that both of them would be caricatures. So Luke's audience would have been very surprised to be confronted with Lazarus, a person with a name. Even more so because if anyone were to be named, they would have expected it would have been the rich person. Going back to our contemporary equivalent, I'm sure you all can imagine being in a place where someone says, so Ron DeSantis and an asylum seeker die and go to the pearly gates, right? We can imagine that joke being told. 
But we would be really confused if the joke started, the governor of a state and Juan Ramirez die and go to the pearly gates. We'd all be thinking, who the heck is Juan Ramirez? He happens to be a Venezuelan asylum seeker. Scholars note that this was Luke's version of the famous sheep and goats story. The difference between them is that Matthew in the sheep and goats is very pointedly talking about systemic, cultural, and global power imbalances. Luke focuses instead on our individual complicity in those systems. Luke's emphasis to me is especially on our ability to pretend that we don't know. His primary audience was a wealthy Gentile one. So Luke was trying to wake them up to the human costs of the systems they had taken for granted as how things work in the world. Luke prompts us to shift our mindset to one of community care instead of individual protection, to center God's abundance rather than scarcity. So Luke uses this opportunity to nudge his listeners to help them understand that they may perhaps be one who is pretending not to know that they hold privilege. In this case, it's wealth privilege, but the same applies to any kind of privilege, race, class, gender, sexual orientation, you name it. Additionally, when Luke names Lazarus, he simultaneously signals to the marginalized among his listeners that they are seen, they have names, they are known, and they are beloved by God. What makes the satire so pointed is the nameless rich man's complete self-absorption, even after he's dead. How hard he works even then to not see. Despite being dead, he's still giving orders to Abraham of all people telling him, send Lazarus. One could argue that at least he finally acknowledges Lazarus by name, something, as Liz pointed out to us last Sunday, he probably never did while he was alive, even though he clearly knew who Lazarus was. But if he still only sees Lazarus as someone who will fetch and carry for him, that's not really seeing him. He still hasn't gotten Luke's message. His attitude toward Lazarus means that Luke's deliberate naming of Lazarus is an unmistakable sign that God stands in solidarity with those who this man overlooks. Those who are marginalized, those who are poor, Lazarus is with Abraham. The rich man is not. 
This rich man had the time and the ability to make different choices, but he didn't. Luke's emphasis on the idea that there's a chasm between the rich man and his choices and Abraham and Lazarus on the other side is a way to remind us that the time to act is now, to choose differently now. That's what we need to do in this lifetime. We have the agency to do it now. The story also reminds us that there are some who will never hear, ever. For whatever reasons, they will choose over and over to remain as they are, only watching out for themselves. That's why Abraham refuses to send messengers to the man's brothers who are still living. They have already had ample signs to change course and they've refused to hear or see any of them. So we've come full circle, Stacy, <laughs> to comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And as you move forward and grow into your priesthood, you will surely encounter people who need to be nudged to see their privilege. And people on the margins who need to be actively shown that you see them. People who will respond to these messages gladly and people who will never be able to hear them. But here's the main thing. Just as each of us is both a sheep and a goat for Matthew, every one of us has some of these stances within us, in fact, I would say all of these stances within us, no matter who we are at all times. We are each capable of not seeing and of being open to being able to see. The gift of grace is that God sees all of those aspects of who we are and still continues to love and nourish and encourage us along the way, seeking those cracks in our armor that hold us back from truly being open to God's love and to loving the world and everyone in it. In the end, God knows us as the beloved, particular, stubborn, and unique humans that we are. And that, that is the blessing. Amen.